Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we like to do that in the world of sports, of music, of comedy, of authors, pastors, great testimonies and the like. And uh, it's always fun when I get to say we have a returning guest, Jason Romano is back, Mr. All Things Sports, Mr. All Things Jesus. I think it was March 22nd, or somewhere in March 2022 was when Jason was last on. And uh, every time his name pops up or I see him on a screen, it feels like a longtime old friend. Super glad that you folks today get to hear from Jason Romano. Welcome, Jason. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me back, man. So <laughs> I'm curious with your sports knowledge. I you're easy to just go off script on right away. So somebody said this mm-hmm. on a, on a previous podcast recently, they said, hello friends. They're like, Oh, so you're stealing from Jim Nance. I said, <laughs> I'm aware that Jim Nance says that. I don't think that two word phrase is only for him. I want to say hello folks, but clearly people would say Nate Bargatze on that one. So do, yes. I, do I need to give Jim Nance? I mean, you worked at ESPN oh. all those years. Am I okay? It's two words. Yeah, I think you're fine. Hello friends. I mean, people know that it's, is Jim Nance the first one that really coined that phrase and says it all the time? Sure. If you want to say it, who cares? Say it. People know it's from Jim Nance, but, you know, it's okay. I think it's fine, Jeff. So if I came on and said, hello, folks, you think right away everybody's like, oh, that's totally Nate Bargatze. I don't know if everybody knows Nate Bargatze like they know Jim Nance. That's, that's yeah. at least from the sports perspective. But Nate is starting to blow up and I love Nate Bargatze and I want to see him in person at some point when he comes up here to the Northeast, but he's, uh, he's, I don't know if, I didn't even know that was him to be honest with you. There you go. And I love, yeah. I've seen all of his comedy specials and love what Nate's about. So, so one of the main things people would know you for is sports spectrum, the podcast. Yep. I could not believe when I looked that up yesterday that you are heading towards 1400, 1400. It's ridiculous. Are you tired just by me saying that? I'm tired. I'm tired just by hearing that number. No, I'll be honest with you. I am grateful. Yeah. Um, I mean, six and a half years ago, this is 1400 episodes in six and a half years. And that's mind blowing to me because seven years ago, I was still working at ESPN. I didn't know yet, but it was coming close where I was starting to realize that Sports Spectrum was entering the picture, but I hadn't said yes to leave or anything like that. Certainly didn't think about hosting my own show. I honestly, I gave up on that dream, Jeff, many years earlier because I was a producer. I mean, when I got to yeah. local radio out of college and I wanted to be this on-air host, I realized I was not very good and I didn't have an avenue the way podcasting is today to really pursue that. You can't really practice on air without being on yeah. air. Yeah. At least back in the late '90s, you couldn't. And so I pivoted towards producing and I knew I was a pretty good producer and I had 
hosts and people I worked with who affirmed that. And so that's the avenue I went. And I just went that direction. And when I got to ESPN, I knew I was never going to be on the air. At least that was my mindset. So I said, let's be as good a producer as we can. Obviously, 17 years at ESPN, it worked out. But my dream when I was in college was to be on air and to host a show, to host a sports show and to interview athletes and coaches. And how great is our God that he works in the way that he works that at 43 years old, I was given this opportunity to host a show and interview athletes and coaches. And never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be interviewing them about their faith, but I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do when I was in college. It's just not in the way that I thought it would ever happen. But here we are. So we're going to play a what if in just a second based on what you just said. But I want to go back to Nate real quick. Any possibility that, I mean, I would think Nate Bargatze makes too much sense for your podcast, especially since he's a pretty big fan of at least it looks like golf. Have you, have you, yeah. any, any movement there for you to get Nate on? I don't even care if he isn't a fan of sports at all. If Nate Bargatze wants to come on Sports Spectrum, I'll say yes every single time. I would love to, to explore the idea of, of faith which he talks somewhat about, but obviously does it in a comedic way. He's a clean comic, which I think takes way more talent than being a talent that just spiffs off the cuff every word they want to spiff off. Yeah. But yeah, I think he'd be fascinating to talk to. I, I think there's some people that I'm vaguely connected to who know him, yeah. but I haven't really explored it. But maybe in 2024, that's, that's a guest to explore. I think yeah. that's, a, that's a fascinating idea. Yeah. We'll see. Let's go, Brian Bates. Make that happen. Brian's the quarterback for his podcast. Brian could hopefully tee that one up for us. So I want to play yeah. what if with you. Okay. So I like it. I don't know if we've talked about that before, but the, the fact that here's where you wanted to go. I don't think you've said that you knew that ESPN was never going to work you being in front of the camera. Well, let's say several months ago before they go where they go with, you know, Michael Irvin, Sterling Sharp, or excuse me, Shannon Sharp, whatever. What if ESPN comes day. back yeah. and says, hey, you know who the perfect partner for Skip Bayless is? It's Jason Romano. No way. No, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. I'm the one doing an interview here. So what if that would have happened? No, I'm saying I don't think I would say yes to it. Really? And that sounds crazy. I just don't think I would for two reasons. Number one, I don't think I'm a great embrace debate guy yeah mm -hmm. debater i don't think that's my forte because i'm always down the middle not down the middle but yeah. i always try to play peacemaker i think i'd be a great host yeah. for a first take show like molly does amazing and i would never try to take her job jay crawford way back in the day mm -hmm. was the host of it i could do that i think in an okay way but i could never be a Stephen a or a skip i just i especially at this stage of my life i don't have Oh, now, yeah, why did I say Skip Bayless? Stephen A., yeah. Whatever. I mean, I, because they were on together for so yeah. many years. I don't have the patience. I don't have the, the desire to debate at an endless rate about whether or not Dallas is a Super Bowl champion contender again, which is every show it feels like yeah. when you watch. Dallas done? Is Dak really that good? I would want to just <laughs> pull my hair out. Yeah. every day if i had to do that i love the show i worked on that show many yeah. years ago but i just don't think that would be my my forte now hosting a show like that maybe yeah it's funny jeff because when i was at espn it never even crossed my mind to try to be on air i just didn't want to do that or i didn't think that it was possible i didn't pursue it so i just 
played the behind the scenes role guy. And I was fine with that to think now that in many ways I am an on air guy by hosting a show like this. It's really just kind of mind blowing to be honest with you, but I don't think I'd ever be good at, I I will debate people. You and I can debate on this show. If you have something you want to debate, let's go. I just don't think it's my forte. I don't think I'm really interesting when I start debating people on stuff. And that includes faith. I'll have conversations with people. But I'm not a good debater. That's sure. just not me. Can you imagine, by the way, since you were in that world, can you imagine what it was like Monday morning if you're Mario Cristobal? They can, you're going to get just crushed today, tomorrow, Wednesday. Now they're going to show Joe Pasarjic, Herm Edwards, that whole deal. And they're going to show the Miami Georgia Tech game. Can you imagine what oh, his world if was that like? World lived, if that world happened if first take existed in the 60s and 70s and 80s it's different because there's so many moments that we can all go to bill buckner the ball goes through buckner's legs imagine that and that game seven after the buckner play it happened on a saturday the buckner game sunday was supposed to be game seven it was rained out at shea stadium they played on a monday night so imagine monday morning yep. late october and the first thing they're talking about is bill buckner the ball, he wouldn't have even been able to go and play game seven because of the way the media covers things now compared to back then. So it's really interesting to think about. I think the only good thing is like Miami, Georgia tech, what you're referring to, it's still never going to make the a block first story on first take or sports center because the NFL on a Monday morning yeah. because of the NFL. Yeah. And then the NBA is starting up and LeBron is there and they're going to talk about LeBron and um, baseball playoffs are happening I guarantee you, I, I can't guarantee this, but I'm a 99.9% guarantee that they will not talk one ounce about baseball on first take until maybe the World Series. And yeah. even then it's probably a question yeah. mark, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But they talk about the shows that are going to move sure. the needle, going to get you the most clicks, yep. going to get you the most hot takes. And, you know, Mad Dog Russo is on first take now, I think one day a week when he's on he loves baseball. They might talk about the baseball playoffs, yeah. but very rarely do they do that because they know that's not going to get the clicks. Yeah. Now, I love baseball. You want to talk baseball? Let's do it. But it's not the debate-heavy sure. topic content that I think works on that show. Well, for all those reasons you just said, I guess Mario Cristobal should be praising God because when I saw that, I'm like, has this guy? Oh my gosh! Has this guy watched football? Did he not see the Giants Eagles from way back when when everybody talked about Herm Edwards? And come on, that's that's some crazy. In my only thing is, and when you're in the moment, sometimes you just lose your mind. Jason, when you're in Jason. those pressure, no, I'm with you. I'm not. Listen, that was horrible. My sons know but, what to do in that situation. They should have had, yeah, they should have had the guy to the left and the guy to the right saying, "Dude, this is what you got to do. Just kneel, yeah. just kneel, just kneel. Don't hand it off. Just kneel." <sighs> but sometimes people just don't think right when they're in those pressure situations, and you and you say, "Why would you think that?" And their answer is, "I don't know." Yeah. They just did it. They reacted, and he reacted and called the wrong the wrong play, and it, it cost him dearly. He yeah. did. I couldn't believe that game. That was insane. Oh, that was insane. Especially Miami of all teams. When you think about them over history of success oh. from the U, oh, brutal. So of here's all the, the team. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the first question: 2022 March. That's when you were last on. How are you a different man since then? What is yep. a deeper work Holy Spirit has done in the life of Jason Romano? How am I a deeper man? Um, well, in March of 2022, my daughter was finishing up her senior year of high school. 
in October of 2023, my daughter is in the midst of her sophomore year of college. So I am now, you know, an empty nesting husband and dad. A big moment happened in January of 2023 when my longtime pastor and mentor passed away. He had some heart issues, some health issues. He's a larger man. He died, I think, at 67. I'm on the elder board at my church, and he was also on that board. So we were very, very tight, and we lost him. And I think the biggest difference in that guy from March of 22 and now is just perspective. I turned 50 years old less than a month ago as we record this, and I don't know what it was about that age, but that will make you look at your life and contemplate things, right? Contemplate the life you've lived, the life you still want to live, you know, you're past halftime now and you're probably in the third quarter of life and could be in the fourth quarter. I don't know. God can call us when he calls us. But I think what God's been showing me is to not waste time on things that don't matter. When you lose your pastor, in some ways, when you lose your daughter, my daughter is clearly alive, but she moved away and she's not in the house anymore. You know, my wife and I learning how to be married without a child in the house. That's a, that's a big, it's a big step. Last year was, there was a lot of growing pains in that last year. We're better this year, but not wasting time on things that don't matter. Cherishing moments, you know, cliche stuff like that. But I'm really feeling that there's a heaviness to that, that I really don't want to miss. I, we don't have a ton of time left. I don't know how much time. And I, I tell my wife this a lot more now than I ever did. Like, I don't want to live a life of fine. Mm. And I hear that word a lot. I'm fine. Yeah. It's the F word that I can't stand almost as equally as the real F word. Yeah. Fine. Because fine is not good. Fine mm. is, ugh, it's okay. And I don't want to be okay. I want to, I want to thrive. You know, I want to have joy and, and just experience life in, in a much different way in my 50s than I ever did previously. In my 40s, I'll be honest with you, when I turned 40, Jeff, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm old, this is over. <laughs> and I didn't know the 40s were going to be my best decade. Yeah. You know, I hadn't written any books. I hadn't left ESPN. I hadn't, you know, watched my daughter thrive in her journey of being a, an athlete as a kid. I didn't watch any of that yet. And I thought, oh, I'm old, I'm over. it's over. And my 40s were my, my best decade. And so I'm hoping my 50s can be equally as good. Yeah. Man, that sounds like the title of a book for you. I don't want to live a life of fine. I love that. That, that yeah. speaks on so many levels. So if people want to hear more about you, first time around, it's season two, episode 16, and you get more into Sports Spectrum. You've written a couple books about forgiveness, about your time uh, at ESPN and leadership therein. You're tied to PAO. You're doing a number of things. Yep. Yeah. And, and so we could spend time on that, but I'd rather you know not jump too far down that road. But when you've written about those things, you've written about your dad, you know, we've had people tied to us that have gotten connected, you know, ultimately through you. I told you before we got started, Mike Donahue, who you've had on your podcast, you and I both know him, have a relationship. He spoke about forgiveness for us last week at our big fall mm-hmm. breakfast outreach. You've written about that topic. Why do you think forgiveness is such a big issue. We're finding in Springfield, that's a theme people are coming with. And yeah. it's almost like a never ending kind of thing. He, in fact, made this statement that I thought was really good. I don't, know, I don't know if you've heard him say this. He said, unless we forgive, we will be agents of vengeance 
not ambassadors of justice. Hmm. Does forgiveness still mean just as much to you as it did when you wrote that book? And why is it so prevalent that we need to hear it in society and particularly in the church? Yeah. Jeff, you know, I'm going to answer this question by going back to the last question. I, I don't know why I forgot about this. So you asked how I'm a different person. This past summer, it was actually in April, my dad called me one morning the day we were going to pick up Sarah from college from her freshman year, and he told me he had relapsed. It was the first time he had drank in 10 years. The reason I tell you that is because the first book that I wrote, mm -hmm. the Live to Forgive book, was about my relationship with my dad and forgiving him for all the wrong that he had done in, in my life and my family's life. And that was a hard thing to write. It was a hard thing to live, to forgive, right? To forgive is hard. And I understand why it's so hard because as humans, when people hurt us, our initial response is, I want you to hurt back or you don't deserve yeah. this or that because of what you just did. And so that's human and that's normal. And, you know, I, I have searched the scriptures and read more about forgiveness than anything, I think, in the last decade. And I still firmly believe that forgiveness is the true path to freedom in life and certainly in our walk with Jesus. But in April, when my dad called me and told me he had relapsed and he didn't just relapse, he went down a dark path and just binge drank for days upon end. And he was in really rough shape and had to go to the hospital to dry out. Did that in April. And I was suddenly realizing that I know I had forgiven my father, but there were wounds that were reopened, Jeff, that mm. I thought had been closed for good. Wow. And fast forward a couple months on Father's Day weekend, my dad relapsed a second time. True. And good news is he's been sober since. So that's good. He's sober now and he's working back towards a good path there. But our relationship isn't what I thought it was going to be or what it had been previously. I just haven't been able to get past some of those wounds that were reopening some of the anger that I, I was beginning to have again. Not necessarily anger at him. Angry, maybe a little bit at God, but angry at addiction, angry at alcohol, angry at like the stuff that could cause mm -hmm. that. And I know this is his choice and he made it. But I was going through some real issues, like even some depression, some anxiety, some some mental stuff that I'd never experienced this summer in June wow. and July. And uh, that caught me off guard. And it's allowed me to enter into a, a really neat place, I think, too, going to counseling for the first time, seeking uh, wise counsel from my brother and from you know some pastor friends in my life, and ultimately diving into the word again and kind of going from a different perspective. You see, Jeff, when I get asked to speak a lot, I'd say seven times out of 10, it's about forgiveness that I speak at, especially with men at men's conferences, things like that. And for five, six, seven years since the books came out and since I've been getting asked to do this, I always end the story with a happy ending for me. Hey, I know you know you might be struggling. I want you to know that I struggled too, but I've been able to forgive my dad. And now he's been sober for five mm. years. He's been sober for eight years. And one person I remember very clearly, I think it was in Atlanta when I was down there, asked me, what if your dad hadn't stopped drinking? Would you have still forgiven him? Mm. Because it's easier to forgive someone when you start to see that they're trying to get better and that they're actually turning a corner. And I had really no answer for him. I said, I hope I will. I hope I would have.
but I don't know. And I wanted to be real with him. Like I'm preaching this, I'm sharing about forgiveness. I'm showing you in God's word, why it's so important. You know, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the importance of forgiveness, but I always thought, yeah, of course I would, but I don't think I'm going to have to worry about that anymore. I mean, when you get to almost 10 years of sobriety, you kind of figure you've turned the corner and my dad just had a moment. And sometimes with addicts, that's what happens. You have one moment and it just sends you spiraling. My dad is in his seventies now. He's not a young guy anymore. And I'll be honest with you, I think that almost killed him in many ways, not, not just mentally, but also from a physical perspective, you can't just throw that much alcohol in your body over a short period of time and not have it affect you. Mm -hmm. My dad and I are, we've always been reconciled, but we're working through it and that's good. We're trying to have real conversations and not surface level conversations, but I've had to look at the Bible, look at scripture, look at forgiveness with some fresh eyes, eyes that I never thought I'd have to look through. Uh, or a lens, I guess I thought I'd never have to look through again. And God's doing some work. He is. But that's why I hope that answers your question. You asked why forgiveness is so important and prevalent. Because it's it's really the, it's, it's the guaranteed way to freedom because it allows you to release the chains that you put yourself in when you hold on to anger and bitterness. Yeah. And it makes you a person that, especially if you're a follower of Christ, like that will separate you from Christ. If you don't forgive someone, God's very clear. Jesus is very clear. If you do not forgive those who have hurt you, our father in heaven will not forgive you. That's about as blunt and as harsh as you can hear, but that's God's word speaking that. And that's right at the end of the Lord's prayer, by the way, I think it's Matthew seven when Jesus is teaching, you know, his disciples how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. He says the Lord's prayer. And at the very end of it, he says, and if you forgive your father in heaven, he will forgive you. But if you don't forgive those who have hurt you, your father in heaven will not forgive you. And that's brutal to hear. But I think that's why, and I think it's prevalent, Jeff, because we struggle as humans with what we think other people deserve. They don't deserve to be forgiven because they hurt you. And then you realize none of us deserve to be forgiven because we hurt God or sin against him every single day. You know, this feels like we live to forgive. There's a add on chapter, you know, yeah. figuratively speaking, it comes back out and maybe, maybe sure that is. does, maybe yeah. that does happen in your life and in your writing. But I think yeah. as you're talking, Jason, I just keep going, it keeps going through my head that the deeper level you're going to have to dig and in our digging, talking about going through counseling with this, you know, a couple moments, of relapse yeah. for your dad, but what that's also going to mean, maturity in Christ, intimacy with Jesus, you wouldn't choose this way, but it's going to do something in you that's much deeper than where you thought you'd already been. And it's done that. There were moments, I mean, there was one moment where I thought we couldn't find my dad and he hadn't told anybody where he went. And he actually checked himself into the hospital to try and dry out, which is wow. a sign of my dad as being a fighter, but nobody knew where he was. We called the hospitals and we couldn't we couldn't, they couldn't tell us because of privacy issues and, you know, the way it works in the hospitals, obviously. And that makes sense. But there was a moment where I was thinking, this might be it. This might be it. And I had to really come to grips with, okay, God, I'm coming to you right now. And I don't know what else to, to say or do other than save my dad, you know, and I mean that from a spiritual perspective, awesome. save my dad, yeah. 
but I also meant from a human perspective, like keep him alive. Because there are moments that I didn't want him alive, if I'm being completely honest with you. I just, it was better if he wasn't alive, in my opinion, Mm because it it would mean less pain or harm to me or my family. But when you go to a place of desperation, Jeff, with God, it can draw you closer to him in a way I I don't think that you really can fully understand unless you're in that mode. And I haven't had a lot of moments. I mean, I go way back 20 years ago where I felt desperation to pray for my wife to get pregnant. And she did. And that was amazing. And Sarah was born. We went through five years of infertility. There was desperation, but I was so young in my faith, like a year into my walk with Christ that I didn't, I was just praying like a genie, please God answer my prayer of giving us a child. There was desperation. And to this day, it's still the closest uh, I've ever felt to God when I fell on my knees and found out Dawn was pregnant and I started crying weeping uncontrollably but when you go through difficult seasons of life with you know my my brother-in-law died in january of 22 at 53 my pastor passes away suddenly in january of 23 this year and then my dad with the real like there's moments where you're just going to god and you're like i can't i can't understand this i there's there's pain happening uh the wounds are reopened in some cases it's almost like David in the wilderness, Lord, you know, where he goes to the Lord and says, why, why are you forsaking me, God? And yet I still trust you. That's the intimacy part. And that's where I've tried to work through and go through this summer, especially with the counselor who was a Christian counselor, was just, yeah, feel that pain, be angry, but then let the Lord do what the Lord does yeah. and lead the way. I think it's interesting because I think, you know, you and I are very close in age. I'm a little bit older. But, you know, I think we both have been around the block, shared it probably out of our own lives about suffering, about grief. And when people talk in a very robust way, that that's some of the only ways you're really going to reach certain levels, places, depths, intimacy with Jesus. And, you know, Jesus, you know, right before he's going to the cross, it's take this cup. Is there another way? He was willing to get like, there might be an easier way here. And yet he was willing to to take it. Let's transition. I I love that I've asked how you've changed since March 2022. And we're going to, we're pretty much going to stay here. Forget a script. I want to mention a different side of this with family. I'm going to say a name and I want to hear the first four thoughts that come to your mind. And that's your cherished daughter, Sarah. What are your four Hmm. thoughts that come to your mind? Uh, The first word is miracle because I've called her that since she's been born. I just told you we went through five years of infertility and mm-hmm. just the fact that she's even here, first of all, isn't a, I'm just so thankful to God for that, that he made me a dad because it's all I really wanted to be. Forget the sports stuff. Uh, I always wanted to be a dad. So miracle is the first thing. Proud is n- another word. Like, you know, they talk about pride being a bad thing in God's word. And I think it's pride for ourselves, but being uh being proud as a dad, I think, is a much different pride. And I take so much pride in watching her blossom and bloom into the young lady that she is. She chose Indiana Wesley in the college she's at. I introduced her to it, but she chose it. She chose it because it's a small Christian school. She chose it because she wanted to grow in her walk with Jesus. She chose it because she wants to be a teacher and help people, especially young people, when she gets older. So proud, for sure concerned and you, I'll explain what I mean by concerned in a minute but you know you're whenever you have your kid you, you know you when you have a child 
you're always concerned. Concern is a different word than worried. Mm -hmm. I don't worry about Sarah. I don't. Like she's out there 12 hours from me right now. A little closer to you yeah. than me. Two and a half from you. Half from me, yeah. 12 hours from me if I wanted to drive out there. And yet I don't worry about her. Like I know she's a good kid. She's got a good head on her shoulders. She knows she's situationally in, in situations. She has, she makes the right decisions for the most part. She's like, she's, she's good. I know she's good, but I'm concerned not because of anything that she's done. I'm just concerned about her soul because I know the world wants it yeah. and the enemy wants her soul. And so I want her in the concern section to always be surrounded by people who love Jesus to, to grow in her faith. And when the world comes at her, not if, and I'm sure it does, it's coming at her now, even if she's at a Christian school, but the world's still going to come at you. There's nothing more than the enemy would like to do is to take a kid away from, from her focus on God being surrounded by other people. So there's concern there, which leads me to my fourth. And I pray this every single day. I'll show you my, my prayer journal if you want to see it, but I pray for her future husband. And I think about this person that I've never met yet because my daughter doesn't have a boyfriend, but when she finds the right guy and I pray that it's a, it's a Jesus loving sports loving guy, who knows, maybe he doesn't have to love sports, but most importantly, I want him to love Jesus with all of his heart. And then I want him to treat my daughter like the queen that she deserves to be treated but I pray for this person every day. Mm. And I have done this for a long time, probably at least in the last five years intentionally, but certainly been thinking about this person since my daughter was a baby, but her future husband, I've watched my nephews and nieces get married, have kids. I love the people that they're around. I know my brother prayed for, for his kids, spouses, future spouses, since they were born. I don't ever want to lose that. And I don't even know who this person is. Yeah. She hasn't had a boyfriend yet at college. And so she's she's open, by the way, if any boys from uh -huh. Indiana Wesleyan or any parents are listening. Well, some people from her. Grace College over there. Grace isn't too far away. Grace, <laughs> we're, we're very open to Grace. We're open to Taylor, any of those schools. But she's a good kid. Whoever finds her is going to get a treasured possession of a wife who's going to be a great mom someday too. But this man, I pray for you. I pray for that man wow. every day. I don't know who it is, yeah. but I pray for him that God would uh, would bring my daughter when it's time, the right guy, and that that guy would love Jesus more than anything, yeah. and then love my daughter the way she deserves to be loved. So yeah, I've got to ramp that up. I'm challenged as you say that that I've prayed it, but I'm not making it the daily prayer point that it clearly needs to be. And uh, man, I I've got to know you a bit, Jason, and and you know I definitely think you're very real but your heart man is just like bursting out as you talk about where things are a little bit updated currently with your dad about your daughter and uh mm. kind of like i was asking you i mean what have you noticed about talk about you and where you've maybe your difference since march 2022 since sarah's gone away to indiana wesleyan you know i just got to see my son seemingly very different seven weeks in at grace how is sarah yeah. different from when she left your house you know, back in the fall of, uh, or late summer of 2022. She's, she's, she's not different, but she's, in, she's different. She's still Sarah, but she's so different. And I mean, different in the way that she's grown. Yeah. She's not a kid, you know, I shall always be my kid. 
and age-wise, she's a kid compared to us 50-year-olds, but she's not a kid anymore. She's a young lady, a young adult. And when we dropped her off that day in August of 22, you know, especially for my wife, it was an emotional day. Sure. I mean, that's not surprising when it's your only child and you're leaving them and driving 12 hours home, like, hello, uh, lots of emotion there. My wife really it hit her extremely hard. She had to work through her own grief in many ways for a good portion of last year. This year, it's been a lot better. Uh, we still miss her, obviously. But she, this kid, I mean, she's just matured. And I always remember when she was in high school, a lot of friends always said she was a little more mature than most of her friends. You know, she had an old soul. She, her nickname on her senior year of softball was Jima, as in grandma, mm-hmm. because she had this old soul about her that was always caring and loving and took care of people. And um, I think that's Jesus shining through her. Mm-hmm. I know that's what, what that was. Amen. And they made fun of her a little bit about it, but Sarah owned that. Like she owned the fact that this is who I am. I'm not gonna change and conform. When she got to college, Within the first week, she found four girls from your area, really, Columbus, Canton, Akron, those areas in Ohio, uh, ones from outside of Chicago, and those girls and her just fell in love with each other, Mm. just as best friends, as accountability partners, as lifelong companions and, and pals who will, who, and it's funny, she met those girls and knew within two weeks that this was her tribe, yeah. you know, the four girls just to do life with. And those, those girls will be her bridesmaids someday. Yeah. There's no doubt. And I don't know where Sarah will end up, if she'll stay in Indiana, if she'll move to wherever her future husband lives, if she'll come back to Connecticut. But wherever she goes, she's going to have those girls that she met within the first two weeks yeah. at college. And it was almost like that was confirmation from God for my wife and I to just say, you have her right exactly where she's supposed to be. And there's always concern, you know, she's 12 hours away. Is she going to call? I'm homesick. This is not the right place. I want to come back. And we're always willing to talk through that and never put anything down as permanent. My, my thing was, I paid for your first semester. You're going to finish that. And then we'll reevaluate. Yeah. And then she got the second semester and she wanted to do that. And then now we're in the third semester and she's ready to roll. Yeah. So she loves it there. And that's great. But I think she's just a different person because she's found these girls to do life with. She's going to make her mistakes. Yeah. She's going to have her moments. She's got responsibility like she's never had before, especially her freshman year last year. Now she has a good little idea about that responsibility and she's going to figure it out. And my wife gets mad at me sometimes because I'll say, you know, like something happened recently and Dawn said, well, what are you going to do? You should do this. You should think about this. She's a mama bear. That's what, she, that's what mama bears do. Yeah. And after she finished, and it was probably inappropriate, but after she finished, I just jumped in. I said, Sarah, you're, you're 19 now. Mom's heart is in the right place. But if you want to do something else, mm. we can't stop you. Yeah. But now you know where mom's coming from. You know where I'm coming from. I support your mother. But you're 19. Now you have to make a decision on how to figure it out on your own. And it wasn't a big decision or anything like that. It was just me saying that to kind of reaffirm to her, like, this is your life. And we're different as parents now than we were when you were 14. You know, we were responsible for raising you and taking care of you. We've done that. Now, 
Yep. We're here as mentors. We're here as mom and dad who love you and will do anything for you. But these are decisions in life now that make. you're going to have to make on your own. Yeah. And I'm glad she still comes to us for guidance and wisdom, which is great. Sure. But she's an adult now and it's just a different stage of life. Yeah. Wow. Man, I feel like we're going to say everything you're saying, just like, yep, yep, yep. And kind of a lot of what I saw with Ethan last week uh, at Grace College. So let's get back into the sports world for a second here. So I said yeah. before we came on, you were heading to 1,400 podcasts. Crazy number. I'm heading to 100. You're way, <laughs> way, way yeah. ahead of it. Uh, two podcasts recently that you had that were really good. I posted the one today, Jonathan Isaac, who you guys have mm -hmm. had him on several times. You guys just have a good connection. Uh, he, yeah. Man, what a mature young man of God he is. And then you're one with former ESPN colleague, Reese Davis. I thought was mm -hmm. really good. I thought you got a lot out of Reese that I don't know he would have been. I don't know Reese, but I'm, I'm guessing he gave you more than he might've given somebody else. So when you think about what you've done, you've had some great guests. I talk a lot about what I've learned in less than a hundred. How have you become better? Whether that's listening, whether that's the prep work has done, whatever, what has been different and better for you because of this, this space? I am definitely a better listener. There is no doubt about it, except sometimes with my wife. And she says, you're such a good listener. I watch you. You listen everywhere else. But with me, you always want to jump in and get your point. And I said, I know. I said, we've been together. You're my person, right? I've been together with her for 20, 1997, 26 years. So like, that's just how it is. Like, yeah. And I want to be a better listener with my wife for sure. But I think I'm a better listener just overall. When you ask questions and, you know, it's funny how, what kind of force is that too, Jeff? is technology. Yeah. Like if I just sit there and try to jump in while they're talking and then they jump in while I'm talking, it doesn't allow, technology doesn't allow that to really be a good sounding show. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people interrupting. And it's a little different when you're in person because you can kind of jump over each other because you're right there with the person. But even then, it's just not a good listen. I hear shows now where a lot of people jump in and another person's jumping in and they're arguing or whatever. And you know, that maybe go back to the, to the debate topic that we talked about embracing debate, but I don't, I don't think those are good listens. I don't think those are good content for people to kind of enjoy. And, and, and so it's forced me to ask a question and then just kind of shut up and let them, mm. let him or her have their answer and tell their story. You're doing that by the way, with me, and you've done a good job with that because I think it's a real art to be a good listener. If people ask me, what does it make, what does it mean to be a great interviewer? I give them the answer. It's being a great listener. Mm. And then like, you're not talking, you're not asking questions, but if you're listening, you never have to worry about asking questions because if you're a good listener, you're just going to have a good conversation period. Yeah. Cause you're listening to what they're saying. You're not focused on the script and what the next question is, or what am I going to go here next? Those are important and you should have a script and a layout of where you want to go. But hopefully when you listen, you're able to kind of, I mean, I can, I know this for a fact. I can talk to anybody and do any interview with any person and never have anything prepared. It's not going to be very good in my opinion, because I like to prepare. Yeah. But I can do that now because I, I know I've learned how to be a better listener over the past six years. Mm. Certainly preparation. I think uh, spending ample time preparing on the people that I talk to has helped make those interviews better and conversations better. It might sound silly, but I try to get the date of birth of every single person I talk to. 
because if I can get the date of birth, I know where their age is and mm. I know what they've lived through and seen. Yeah. So if I talk to Jonathan Isaac and he's 26, I know that he was born the year that my wife and I met and started dating. Mm. So what's happened since 97? Okay, That's so good. he was 10 in 2007. That makes him fifth grade. Wow. So he was 15 in 2012. So 2012, LeBron was winning his first NBA title. It's just things that go through my mind and allow me to understand the perspective of where they are. I talked to a woman this morning who is like a legendary women's basketball coach from Belmont University in Nashville. She's 80 years old. And I loved talking to Belmont Betty. That's what they call her, Belmont Betty, Betty Weissman. 80 years old and more wisdom than you could imagine. But knowing her birthday, right, that she was born in 1943, man, I could have done another two hours with her and said, well, what was your experience like when JFK was assassinated? You were 20 years old in college. What was your experience like when RFK or Martin Luther King were assassinated and the race relations that weren't so good in the 60s? What was your experience in the 70s with all the political division with Richard Nixon and then Jimmy Carter and the, you know, the hostage crisis and then Ronald? There's so many historical moments that somebody 80 years old have lived through that I could do three hours with that person and talk about everything because they've lived a long life and they've seen a lot and they have more stories than you can imagine. So the date of birth, which might sound weird, Jeff, it just gives me a good perspective on the person that I'm talking to Absolutely. and allows me to know kind of the life that they've lived and the type, the type of conversations and topics and discussions we can have. Yeah. Wow. That's, I've never heard of it quite like that. It's, I was totally caught off guard when you said, I was thinking Jonathan Isaac was a little bit older, but you said 26. I'm like, are you kidding me? I want to grow up and be like him because his wisdom and maturity at 26. Right, but you and I are old enough to be his dad. Well, the world to be his dad. In this day and age, not too far away from being a grandparent. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Phenomenal. I, I like the way you went at different age marks based on that person and what that would mean in their life. Let me ask you this, Jason. I know you're very intentional with your church. I love your yeah. heart for the local church and the Big C church. Between you, you and Dawn, and then when Sarah's home, you, Dawn, and Sarah, what is doing life? beyond your family look like right now with you guys with other people you with other people what is that looking like in this season well right now as we speak it's it's extremely busy which is interesting to say because it was busy this summer too but sarah was home and so doing life for us first of all it starts in the local church and sarah's been that's one of my great honors and privileges i'm so glad that my wife basically became a believer in jesus right around the time sarah was born And so we agreed and said, we're going to raise this kid in the church with us. And I had just started going to a church in 2003. Sarah was born in 2004. This is the church we're still at today, Hillside Community Church, Bristol, Connecticut. And that church, that's where doing life started for us. It starts with the church. And what I mean by that is we go to church on Sundays, and that's one thing a lot of people do. But we discovered over the next couple of years that that word community, which is in the middle this is the middle word for our church name is vital. Mm-hmm. And we started hanging out with people. We initially, we had Monday night meal hangouts with people from church, eight to 10 people. One person would be designated to make the meal. We just eat food, hang out. We would watch the, the Jack Bauer in 24 every Monday night when it was on back in the day. And we didn't realize what that was doing for us, but it was, it was a uh, life giving for my wife and I to know 
that there were people who believe like us, who were there for us, and who just wanted to hang out with no agenda and no super spiritual preaching, you know, judgmental, anything, nothing. Now, I've also been involved in life groups and my wife and I, it was kind of like a weekly home group, life group, Bible study group that we were in and have been in for 18 years or so. And I was leading a, a life group up until a couple of weeks ago for the last decade. And I loved it. I loved having people over every week and in the life group setting, it's a little different than that Monday night hangout where we would be intentional about the Bible and talking about what God's doing in people's lives and talking about the message. Uh, but we'd also do life with these people too and pray with them. And if they are going through a medical condition or something, we would make sure meals were taken care of. Like it's just, it's your small church, you mm -hmm. know, within the big church. It's serving, you know, I'm an elder at my church and occasionally I preach and serve with the young adults and uh, love that 18 to 23 group that my wife and I serve with in our church. So we serve there. My wife serves on Sundays, taking care of the every once a month, she'll do it with the pre-kindergartners. So the three to five year old kids. So she does that. She's a saint. Uh, she is a saint. She used to do the babies when Sarah was in there and then she graduated to the three to fives. And then she said, I'll just stay here. Uh, I, I don't know if I can handle those, those older kids. And I said, I got it, but it's just getting involved. You know, when there's things going on at the church, we can't do everything, but our church is very intentional about outreach, community hangouts, and we want to be involved in that stuff. Yeah. And now more than ever with Sarah out of this, out of the house, for the most part, we have time, yeah. not as much as you would think initially, sure. but we have time. So let's pour. That's why we, we made the pivot from being life group leaders every Tuesday night. We really felt called to be leaders within that young adults group on Thursday nights. That's cool. And there's something about that 18 to 25 year old range that I just love. I love the idea that they're growing and they're maturing, but they're still young, but they, they, they're hungry for authenticity. They're hungry for transparency. They're hungry for the gospel. We got 15 to 20 young adults that come every Thursday. And sometimes we're doing a Bible study. Sometimes we're preaching and sometimes we're just hanging out yeah. and eating food, talking to each other. I love that. Oh. Nothing gets me more excited right now than, than pouring into those young adults. And lastly, I'm discipling two of those young adults on a sort of one-on-two -on -two basis That's great. where every Saturday we're meeting and we're just going through a book together and helping them grow in their walk with Jesus and, and being discipled, which if you're in a church and you're not getting discipled or yeah. discipling others, like start thinking about that 100%. because that's how the church flourishes. That's how you flourish as a, as a follower of Christ is discipleship, yep. being discipled and discipling others. And so we're trying to do as much as we can. Obviously there's moments where we can't do everything. As I speak to you, there'll be three straight weeks that I'm going to miss my church on Sunday mornings because of different things that I have going on. Yeah. I don't feel guilty about that anymore. Sure. I used to. Nor should you. Uh, but I want to be at my church. Yeah. I feel sad that I'm missing my church family on Sundays. Sure. And uh, I can't wait to get back there. Wow. Wow. We ditched by the rapid five. We got quite a few questions still to go. Jason, man, again, I'm, I'm better for this time. Love your heart. Love that we're about Amen. in a similar place and age in life here and knowing even before this, that we both have kids in the state of Indiana, not where we live, not where we're from. And, uh, yeah. Jeff, let me throw this. You said you, you had to ditch all the questions. Give me one of your crazy rapid fire questions. Cause I, I, I need to have, you need to have some one. kind of, I need one like off the cuff, like, uh, 
question that's not so yep. deep and serious. You get to see any artist play, band, comedian in any venue. Who are you seeing and where are you seeing them? Oh my gosh, that's so good. You two at the sphere, so right? I mean, it feels like that's what it should be. Yeah. I mean, I've seen these videos and oh, I'm like, yeah. my gosh, I just had a buddy of mine who went who went to one of the shows in Vegas and I was sure. just so jealous. Can it be dead or alive? You're, yeah, we'll go where you want to go. All right. I love the Beatles. Yep. Like maybe a little too much. Okay. <laughs> They're my favorite band. I've become a bit of a Beatles historian over the past maybe five years and I'm enthralled with that band. So I got to see Paul McCartney last year oh, at the cool. Carrier Dome in Syracuse. Oh. And that was a bucket list of all bucket list type of items for yeah. me. But if I could ever see the Beatles and in where, concert, where at? we'll stay at Red Rocks. Oh. And I've never been there, but that feels like yeah. the perfect musical venue in Colorado. Yeah, I would say, because it's more intimate too. It's not 50,000. Like at the Carrier yeah. Dome, there was 50,000 people and you're in a dome. It sounded great, by the way, surprisingly. Yeah, but Paul McCartney was awesome. But the Beatles in sort of an intimate couple thousand people setting yeah. at Red Rocks would just forget it. That's like, selling that out like two minutes and Taylor Swift's taking a back seat on that one. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And somehow, some way, if I could get a ticket, yeah, uh, that's cool. I'd be there in a heartbeat. I'd have to connect. I'd start calling every connection I had yeah. and offer as money as I could, but I would go to something like that. <laughs> well, Jason, mad respect for you, man. Have a great affirmation. I feel like whenever you come to my mind, I think like it's it's not totally the same thing, but I feel like we're doing ministry together. You're just in Connecticut. I'm in yeah. Ohio. You know, we have, we've made mutual connections. I feel like we're building the kingdom and it's just, all right, what's the link between us that's helping connect us and let's move the chains. I love it, man. That's what I feel like too. And I'm, uh, I'm just grateful that you, you asked me back on and glad we're glad we're connected, buddy. Yep. Last, last thing, where, where do people connect with you again? Right. Sports spectrum and where else are, on the socials are they going to connect with you? Yeah. The podcast and you know, the content that we create is pretty much updated daily. It's at sportspectrum.com. So if you love sports, if you love Jesus, go there every day. You're going to see a new story. There's a devotional and, and our podcast is releasing three times a week. So there's new content there. And then I'm on, I'm on Twitter X and, and Instagram. You can DM me and my DMs are open and I'm always kind of hanging around in those areas. Not as much Facebook anymore. I'm on Facebook, but I, uh, I've kind of stayed, I had to pick one of them to kind of, if I'm on three all the time, yeah. it just felt like an overload. So during the summer, I kind of grif drifted away a little bit from Facebook. I still go on there, occasionally check much. on some stuff, but yeah. find me on Instagram and Twitter. That's where I'm usually hanging out. There you go. Always good. Cool. Much, much love, Jason. Look forward to some follow-up stuff we talked about beforehand and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate Thanks for having you, Jason. Me. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.